Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Scarner, and I'm hosting today's program. I've got a bit of a quandary today. I know this program's broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, courtesy but it comes from the studios of a Melbourne radio station, 3CR. And there's this um, second-rate broadcaster on another you know, radio network. Uh, I forgot what his name is. I try not to think. And he's done 25 years of second-rate broadcasting, and he's getting a farewell broadcast at the Melbourne Town Hall. Now, this is my 42nd year hosting the uh, Anarchist World this week. I wonder what I'll get. When, when I do my last program, maybe a telephone booth. Who knows? This is, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures based on equal decision-making power and equal access to wealth. Where did I get that from? Very simple. Always go back to the basics. Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers power? Inequalities in the ability to exercise power and in equalities in the amount of wealth you have. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, which is a fancy name, to share power and to hold wealth in common. It's a simple struggle. So any person who's involved in the struggle to improve people's lives outside, obviously, their immediate family is, whether they like it or not, possibly an anarchist. That's right. And don't look for that tail. We had it removed at birth. Okay, let's move on. Now, those of you who think that we are always uh, Don Quixote characters, you know, fighting lost causes, well, I'd like to thank profusely the people involved in the Wednesday Action Group. This is the 20th year on the streets of Melbourne, raising important issues. And uh, we've just uh, finished our Southern Cross Month. And uh, it's quite interesting that... um, We've had some major responses and a victory in this campaign. So I'd like to read out a letter, which I normally don't do, but from the Honourable Greg Combe, AM, Chairman of the IFM Investors Proprietary Limited. 
And why? Because if you have superannuation funds in some type of industry-based fund, and there are six million of you there, well, this may have some impact on you. Dear Dr Toscano, it's always nice to be addressed in the manner I'm accustomed to. Southern Cross Station. Thank you for your recent communication regarding the Wednesday Action Group's campaign activities at Southern Cross Station. IFM Investors, IFM, is a long-term responsible investor in vital Australian infrastructure, including the Southern Cross Station concession on behalf of 6 million Australian Industry Superfund members. And I'm sure there's a few of you listening. Southern Cross Station is Australia's busiest multi-nodal transport hub and pedestrian precinct, with approximately 11,000 people moving through the intersection of Spencer and Collins Street per hour, and I'll vouch for that. That's my (laughs) addition. Since redevelopment over a decade ago, Southern Cross Station has been well-managed and operated safely, responsibly, in accordance with the applicable laws and regulations. In the respect of the matter you have raised, IFM... FM can confirm that a range of laws apply to Southern Cross Station, including those that designate Southern Cross Station as critical, vital infrastructure. A key requirement is to enable patrons unobstructed and safe movement through the station. And as such, management is unable to accommodate campaign on the concourse and is required to notify authorities in accordance with agreed operating procedures. This is my addition they have no problems actually accommodating people who are willing to pay for the privilege of uh, spruiking their products. But that's, that's just me. Now, now comes the important part of the letter. Further, the width of the entire put, footpath to the left of the main concourse is some six metres, and it is maintained as a footpath available for public access. The section adjacent to the station falls within the Southern Cross Station concession area, as referred to above. The narrower section adjoining Spencer Street is managed by Melbourne City Council and this is not widely and currently and this is and this is not wide <laughs> yeah ninety centimetres and currently houses bollards. I acknowledge that your group should be able to make its point without obstructing pedestrian flow or compromising public safety. So there we are, so a win on that one. That'll go up on the website and you can have a look at it for what it's worth. Now, on some more important weightier matters, I'd just like to mention that the memorial lunch we had organised for Wednesday the 4th of September where Mick Doran was going to give a eulogy on his late partner. Robin Whitehead has been um, cancelled because there's a serious illness in Mick's immediate family and that's been rescheduled. But the actual lunch... The public interest before corporate interest lunch will go on as normal at 1pm at La Porchetta, about 392 Raftown Street, North Carlton or Carlton North. So that's still on. And don't forget that uh, if you're listening to this program on the 4th of September that the Public Housing Everybody's Business Campaign continues and there'll be a contingent of people outside the Victorian Parliament House between 5.30 and 6 30 this afternoon, but I'll speak more about that later on. Now, obviously, if you don't live in Melbourne, it's of no interest to you, but why don't you organise a public housing, everybody's business campaign in your neck of the woods? Now, there's something happening, and it's not the uh, cyclone in the Bahamas. 
there's something happening. When you see the Prime Minister, our beloved Prime Minister, and the uh, Mr Dutton, the Minister for whatever, super, super, super Minister, talk about terrorists, boat people and pedophiles in a 24-hour period, you know there's an economic tsunami around the corner because they tend to get information before we do. And we do have a problem. Well, you have a problem. I'm an old man. Most likely it won't affect me that much. But if you're young and fit and healthy and are working for the man and making a buck, you've got a problem. And Australia's a major problem, irrespective of the so-called uh, first uh, trade surplus since June 1975, and I'll speak th- about that later on. There is, there is a major issue. And the major issue is this. It's very simple. Interest rates are at a historically low level and will continue to fall. Debt levels are at a historically high level. Wage growth is non-existent. And growth in the social security benefits of the 30% of Australians rely on social security uh, benefits to survive won't be occurring under this government. It's that simple. Now, irrespective of their piddling little tax cuts, and irrespective of, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, I'm doing something uh, rhetoric, the fact is that the private sector in this country is languishing, and it's languishing very badly. And we will soon see possibly major economic pain. And it doesn't take much to join the homeless queue when uh, you're indebted up to your neck. And although housing prices have uh, temporarily gone up, when housing prices fall and your equity on your home is less than what you owe of some financial institution... Now, irrespective of what you think about the United States of America, there's one good thing about living in the United States. If the banks are stupid enough to give you a loan and you find yourself in a situation where the amount you owe the bank is less, sorry, is more than what the house is worth, you can just drop off the key and say, that's it, I'm leaving, and they can't chase you for the rest. In Australia... You know, the land of the brave and the free, or the clone of the land of the brave and the free, in Australia, they'll chase you to the end of the earth for anything you owe them, irrespective of their nice, friendly advertising, which we're currently seeing as they're having a little bit of trouble maintaining their extraordinary uh, profit margins. So it's no wonder the Prime Minister and Mr Dutton are talking about terrorists, boat people and pedophiles, not just talking about them, but actually introducing more legislation into Parliament which will rip away those very few rights and freedoms and those that we currently have in this country. And it's quite funny, isn't it? Every time they want to take away our freedom, they talk about the terrorist threat. So they're taking away our freedoms to protect our freedoms. You know, it just goes on and on. So it's been a long time since I've heard any government raise the issue of terrorism, boat people and pedophiles in the same 24-hour period. So hang on to your seats because we are in for an economic buffeting. And what that means is you will be the person in the family unit 
you will be the people that will sustain the most damage to your life. Because obviously, people of wealth have actually uh, prepared themselves for this uh, situation because they're in a position to prepare themselves. It's those people who have no reserves who are up to their neck in debt to meet their living costs, not to you know have lavish uh, lifestyles, but to meet their living costs, who will be the main victims of any economic downturn. And considering that the country voted to not remove franking credits from very rich people and voted to allow superannuation rorts to continue for rich people and voted to allow negative gearing to continue and all these things have to be subsidised by the taxpayer, you can see that the landing is going to be exceptionally difficult. So what are we proposing? Because what I say on this program, we are the people we have been waiting for. That's right. We are the people we have been waiting for. We are the opposition. There is no opposition in this country. It's all about maintaining the status quo. It's all about maintaining the current an economic system which continues to exploit the great majority of people. It's all about maintaining a tax system which benefits the rich and powerful. It's all about dividing people. It's all about, you know, engendering hate in the community and division in the community regarding issues which in the long term are inconsequential. That's what it's about. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. So what's a solution? Because, you know, I'm not just interested in coming here every week and, you know, talking about the problems. You know the problems. You know the problems. I don't have to tell you the problems. If you listen to the Anarchist World this week, you know there's a problem. You know there are problems. You know that inequalities in power and welfare are growing. You know that new world in our hearts has become a longing. We long for it but we know it's not going to happen while we live in the current system. You know that. So I don't have to tell you things are getting worse for 70 to 80% of the population in this country. You know that. So what, 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 what can we suggest? And I'm not talking about bloody revolution. I'm not talking about bloody revolution where you've got another new authoritarian regime, you know, uh, grows out of the uh, embers, Phoenix-like. I'm talking about simple things which can be done through the parliamentary system. And I know you will tell me, well, how do you expect to get reforms through Parliament? Parliament has been co-opted by that small sexual society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And I agree, it has been co-opted. But we have allowed that to happen because we are not fully engaged the day-to-day activities of this country. We're quite happy to cast a ballot every three years and give some federal politician a signed blank cheque to make decisions for us, decisions which are determined, as we saw with the recent $10,000 ahead uh, little shindig, knees up Mother Brown shindig at Channel 9 a few days ago for the Liberal Party. I mean, not only are they getting their 
funds together for the next election because people are talking about, you know, Mr Morrison being the ne- next uh, Bob Menzies or the next John Howard. But we're seeing the media almost to a man and woman fall in line behind the agenda of the current federal government. So what am I proposing regarding tax reform? What legislative initiatives could be introduced? Now, I know in 2000 when John Howard was able to introduce a goods and services tax, everybody thought this would be the end of it. Now, a goods and services tax was introduced for one small, very good reason. Because there is so much legal tax avoidance in this country, and the key word is legal, the pay-as-you-earn taxpayers... Taxing them would never raise the revenue required to keep the corporate sector to join the lifestyle they currently enjoy. So the goods and services tax was basically introduced as a tax to extract money from the poorest section of society. Because if you run a business, you claim your goods and services tax as a tax deduction. If you're on a pension or a social security benefit of some type or a wage earner, you don't claim the goods and services tax as a tax deduction. So what we saw was a new tax on people who were underpaid and on social security benefits because everybody else in the private sector, is able to claim it as a legal, legitimate tax deduction. So what's the first thing I'd propose? Well, as far as tax reform is concerned, what we need to do is we need to shift the burden from pay-as-you-earn taxpayer and Social Security beneficiaries, because they are paying goods and services tax, to those people who are able to pay. And those people who tell me, well, it's never been so bad in the business sector. Well, as far as the corporate business sector is concern. It's never been so good. Trade unions have been legislated out of existence. Strikes don't occur anymore. You know, you've got these little piddly things under so-called enterprise bargaining agreement periods. I mean, the the trade union movement has not only had, uh, has not only had its ovaries and testicles removed, it's also had its arms and legs removed through legislation. So, what, so the type of taxes we need to introduce are taxes which actually extract money from investors, those from corporations and investors, those sections of society which legally pay no tax today, which are able to use you know, lawyers and accountants to ensure they pay minimal taxation, if any taxation. One third of uh, Australia's largest corporations paid no tax last year. One third. Nil. So the first tax I would say is that any company or business that has a, a turnover of less than $2 million per year, and that's a reasonable turnover, less than $2 million per year, cannot claim the goods and services tax as a tax deduction. This would free up billions of dollars that would be able to be put into the Treasury. 
to look after people in social security benefits and public education and public health. The second thing we need to look at is the new economy, the new digital economy, the new economy where corporations are headquartered overseas where they lend to their subsidiaries so they pay no tax at the end of the day, where it doesn't matter what type of taxation laws you put into place, you will never be able to extract the amount of taxation revenue from a large corporation that you extract from from a pay-as-you-earn taxpayer who has their tax removed before their pay hits their bank account. So another tax which would raise over $100 billion per year, and remember the total budget for Australia is only about $500 billion, that's a yearly budget, would be a 1% turnover tax. With the digitalisation of the economy, it's a very simple tax which comes off, which needs to be paid by corporations. Any corporation has a turnover of more than $2 million per year, and that would exclude 80% of small businesses. Everybody talks about small business, but the reality is that small business has been squeezed out by our corporate-friendly uh, corporate-friendly trading laws, which allow corporations basically to get bigger and bigger at the expense of small business. You try to find a hardware store uh, independent of uh, the two or three large hardware chains which exist Look for an independent uh, pharmacy in the next few years when the laws are changed regarding the uh, pharmacies. Look for an independent uh, pet shop almost disappeared with the with the corporatisation of the pet industry. And the, and the list goes on and on. So a 1% turnover tax. So for every dollar that you make, forget about expenses, every dollar that goes into the account one cent goes to the taxpayer. It doesn't seem like much, but when you've got trillions of dollars pouring through the economy on a yearly basis, it does add up. And the third tax that could be introduced by legislation tomorrow and which could be collected on the same day because all stock market trading is electronic in 2019 is a 1% stock market turnover tax. That means every time you buy or sell a share, 1% goes to the Treasury. Simple. That could raise anywhere between 20 to $50 billion per year to be used by Treasury to look after public needs. That's three new taxes. Now, obviously, in the past, we had government-owned entities which made profits. We don't have them anymore. And that's another thing we should look at, obviously, is uh, government-owned entities which actually create profits which then can go back to the Treasury. So there are, there are ways of introducing tax reform. But currently, all we see, because the media is embedded, the fourth estate is part of and parcel of the corporate sector. We do not have independent media in this country. Even the Australian Broadcasting Corporation has been gelded by successive governments 
And when you listen to most Australian Broadcasting Corporation's uh, emissions on the television or radio, I'm not saying... You'll notice that it's the same story. And in many ways, it mirrors what you see in the privately owned media. So in an era where the media and the government of the day, including the alternative Liberal Party masquerading the Australian Labor Party, you know, singing from the same song sheet, the issue of tax reform becomes essential because if you want people in our society, and again I'll use the old phrase, 25 million people living on a continent, on uh, a resource-rich continent as we saw with the surplus, the trade, recent trade surplus, well, you need ways via which to extract money from the profits of those who are making merry at the expense of the community, using public infrastructure, using public services, using the government of the day, using uh, taxpayer-funded businesses, and the list goes on and on. We need a new form of taxation. And this is not about radical social change. This is not about revolutionary change. It's about reform, and that's the tragedy of 2019. We get a program of the Anarchist World this week talking about reform within the parliamentary system. I mean, this is not our bailiwick. We're about radical social change. We're about replacing parliament with a federation of community and workplace councils based on direct democratic principles. We're about common ownership of property. We're about... That's, but we find ourselves in 2019 talking about reform because there are no voices in our community in 2019 talking about significant reform to the system, let alone the taxation system. And if there's one thing about the last election result is it has driven the nail into any ambitions of any major political party to talk about tax reform. And when the next election trundles round in 1922, there will be no debate about a 1% turnover tax. There will be no debate about a 1% stock market tax. There will be no debate about removing the GST as a tax deduction for a corporations and businesses with large turnovers. There'll be no debate about creating new government-owned entities which can create a profit by providing services to the community. The only debate will be about how corporate welfare continues, how to destroy, dehumanise, torture, and I don't use that word lightly, people on Social Security benefits. That's what the debate will be about. It'll about be division in the community. It'll be about identity politics. It'll be about the black and unbanned view of history. And it'll be about all these other issues. But there will be no debate about significant economic reform. When they talk about economic reform, all they're talking about is putting more money, more assets, more power into the hands of people who already have power and money. And that's the situation in Australia in 2019. 
So that's why I say we are the people we've been waiting for. We are the opposition. We need to be involved in activities of the next two to three years to push a reform agenda. That's right, because nobody else will push a reform agenda. And as we are seeing in Hong Kong, as I speak, as we've seen over the last three to four months in Hong Kong, people, irrespective of whether they're defeated or not in the long term, people have impact. And when people take to their streets in their tens of thousands and their hundreds of thousands, they have an impact. And I can imagine that if the same thing happened in this country regarding economic reform, about tax reform, about redistributing wealth, redistributing power, I can imagine the corporate-owned media and the government guild ABC railing against these horrible demonstrators. And I can assure you that in October, there's a, you know, a number of... Uh, 20th of September and October, a number of demonstrations organised or planned regarding climate change and the climate emergency, I can assure you the crap you'll see in the corporate media and the government guild at ABC and coming out of the mouths of Mr Morrison and his ministers will be all about these horrible demonstrators stopping people going about their normal business while at the same time they're eulogising what's happening in Hong Kong. So hypocrisy knows know thy name. And the name of hypocrisy is that small sexual society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and their hangers-on is in the fourth estate. That is your name, hypocrisy. So think about it. Tax reform, important issue. If we need to look after the needs of this country in the future. It's a fundamental issue. It's not about tax reform giving people, you know, a bit of a you know ten dollar tax break every week so that they can actually spend it and keep the and keep the system chugging over or paying off a bit of debt. Tax reform is about raising assets to look after the needs of the community, each and every one of us, to look after the needs of those people who are not actually able to participate in the workforce. That's what tax reform is about. It's not about giving people money because they own a second home and it's not about giving people money because they own shares and it's not about giving people money, corporations money, because they're running a business. And, and another, just, just, I mean, this is just minimal tax reform. Now, we've all heard about the surplus. Well, maybe you haven't. But since June 1975, that's 44 years ago, Australia's had a trade surplus. What that means is, in plain English, is we sold more than to the world than the, we bought from the world. And to a large degree, that highlights the fact that people are not spending because of the high debt levels and the fact that they're spending 50, 40, 50% of their income maintaining a mortgage or a roof over their heads or, uh, or paying rent. So when you're spending 30, 40, 50% doing that, there's not much left in the pay packer, which isn't rising, which is not even keeping up with inflation. So obviously, in such a situation, 
We need to talk about tax reform. We need to talk about tax reform. And talking about surpluses reminds me that these surplus has been uh, obtained through exporting coal, gas and iron ore. It's that simple. But the tragedy is, as I said last week, the tragedy is that the money that comes back to the community does not come back to the community. A little bit comes back through company tax, and companies only pay about 24, 22% of the total tax take every year. So a little bit comes through company tax. But the great majority of this money which we see goes into the pockets of corporations and private individuals, people who have billions of dollars. So would it be sensible, and again, this is not about nationalising uh, these resources, say charging 10% tax on every dollar that's exported? 10% goes back into the public coffers? Not 0.1% or 2%, but actually 10%? Bang! You sell $100 million of uh, iron ore, $10 million goes to the Treasury, $90 million goes to the company. Ultimately, it's our iron ore. Obviously, it's Indigenous people's iron ore. Ultimately, it's the, this, this country's iron ore. So see, when you see these figures, and this is what the tragedy is, when you see these figures, you would think that this is a rich country. You would think there'd be no homelessness in this land. You would think 30% of people wouldn't be struggling on Social Security benefits to survive. You would think that people on average wages would be able to meet their financial uh, responsibilities without having to borrow money. But it doesn't happen that way. Because what's happened in the last 40 years is that the return to the investor in relation to the return to the worker, the person doing the work, has changed dramatically. 40 years ago in Australia, for every dollar an investor invested, for every dollar profit, sorry, every dollar profit, 33% would go to the investor, 66% would go to the worker. And that would keep the economy ticking over because that means the worker could actually you use that money to buy goods and services. Today, two-thirds, 66% goes to the investor of every dollar in profit and one-third, 33%, goes to the worker. And that is at the crux, the very crux of the situation we find ourselves in. Where during this so-called deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation period we have weathered over the last four to five decades, we have seen, although wealth has increased in the community, the distribution of that wealth has decreased. So when you've got eight people own as much wealth as three billion, not million, billion, you know there's a problem. And when 1% of the population in Australia owns 50% of the wealth and 50% own 1%, you know you've got a problem. And that gap is growing wider. So irrespective of the statistics you see, and most of these statistics are based on the fact that, you know, borrowed money, that things have improved, the reality is that things haven't improved. And we see this in the community. 
we see this play out in the community in terms of increasing anxiety, increasing friction, increasing anger, increasing disillusionment, increasing reliance on medications to cope, increasing violence in the community. And we see this at every level. We see a community which has been digested, and that's the word, digested, digested away by the acid produced by a capitalist system based on the creation of profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. You listen to The Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Send the podcast to your enemies. Now, on a more serious note, in life, you don't really meet very many people that you have a great deal of respect for. You don't. I mean, you may honour some people, you may have a little bit of respect for others, you may respect for people courage, but um, I'd like to say a few words about an extraordinary human being who I've known for over 40 years. And that's uh, an activist in Melbourne would know, Jeremy, and in Sydney and possibly Brisbane. Jeremy Dixon. Now, Jeremy Dixon and his family have gone through something that no family would ever have to go through. And Jeremy's young daughter, 22-year-old Eurydice Dixon, was raped and murdered in Melbourne about 15, 16 months ago. And Jeremy has been, hasn't said anything publicly. He said nothing publicly until the person who murdered her daughter, it was a random killing, was sentenced two days ago. Now, in most other situations that I've been witness to, usually find the family being pushed into a corner and, you know, and uh, uttering, you know, about the death penalty, harsher sentences, more laws. And you can understand that because of the personal cost, the personal hurt. But Jeremy, an anarchist for over 40 years, a humanitarian, a decent human being who did all he could to reared two children single-handedly for the last 10 to 15 years, made a public statement after the trial, which has been reported widely. And it shows the depth of the man and the courage of a man, a man who's joined us on many campaigns over the last 40 years and who, even after his daughter was murdered, came and assisted us during the 10-day vigil for the uh, Defendant uh, Defend Extend Public Housing, the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. 
And he wants us to remember a few things. He doesn't want his daughter defined by her murder. He and his family wants us to remember Eurydice, Eurydice for what she was. She was a vibrant, clever, witty, courageous young woman who was beginning to stride out in her life, gutsy and determined. He wants us to remember her as her friends remember her. And as far as the murderer is concerned, he said, I hope he gets better. I hope he will fully realise what he has done. And he said, I believe Eurydice would wish that he gets better and realises what he has done. And then an extraordinary act of courage and kindness, he extended his sincere sympathy to those who love him. That's the murderer. It's a terrible tragedy all round. As I said, it's not often you meet a man with the character of Jeremy Dixon and it is, it's been a great honour to have known Jeremy and to see how he has reacted during this situation in a way that I don't believe I would have been able to react. So, again, as we said when we first found out about Eurydice's murder, we extend our sympathies to Jeremy and we extend our support and hopefully he'll be able to continue doing what he does best as an activist and will continue to live life and his family live their lives as best they can despite what's happened. But again... As he said, he wants us to remember his daughter Eurydice not because she was murdered, not the way she was murdered, but how her friends remembered her and how he remembered her. A clever, witty, kind, determined, gutsy, courageous young woman. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Our program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Justice Scott. I'm hosting today's program. As I said before, we are the people we've been waiting for. We are those people. There's nobody else who's going to go out there and change things for the better. I'll give you an example. The public housing, everybody's business fiasco in the state of Victoria and many other states across this country, especially Tasmania and uh, New South Wales, where the uh, privatisation of public housing is uh, moving rapidly.
Now, you would think in an era where homelessness is a visible issue around Melbourne and many regional centres, a very visible issue in New South Wales and other parts of Australia, there would be some thought given to the issue of public housing. And we've been public interest before corporate interest has been involved in campaigns since December 2016 to raise the profile of the struggle to end the privatisation and the private management of public housing in the state of Victoria. And there is one important factor that we have learnt. That when it comes to money, money changes people's minds. Now, we would have expected that in this struggle to maintain and extend public housing, that we would have all the organisations that are involved in providing you know, uh, emergency accommodation and the community housing sector and the affordable housing sector all to be there to promote the idea of public housing. But unfortunately, they're not. And it's very simple why they're not. Because the government of the day, the Andrews-led Labor government, has made an in-principle decision that says Victorians don't give a rat's ass about public housing. And the media has jumped on the bandwagon denigrating, humiliating people in public housing in the state of Victoria. And then we see the community and affordable housing sector lining up to line their pockets as the public housing sector is privatised and titles are given over to them to deal with the problem of homelessness. Well, it's not good enough. It is not good enough. This is another classical decision, classical uh, case of political will. It's not about revolutionary change. It's about mild reform. Well, we've got the government in Victoria spending billions of dollars, 50 to 60 billions of dollars on, on on a public infrastructure splurge. We see the amount of attention and resources devoted to public housing diminishing rapidly. And we see what's left of the public housing sector being left to rot and then privatised. Because public housing is everybody's business. And those of you who listen to this program know why. It's very simple. There are 100,000 people on the waiting list. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people sleeping rough. There are possibly tens of thousands, you know, couch surfing with friends and relatives moving from place to place. And you can resolve the problem quickly. This government, the Victorian state government, other state governments, collect stamp duty revenue from the sale of a house. Even if you buy a $250,000 home, you're still paying eight to nine thousand dollars tax um, and stamp duty. Now, this government will collect over six billion dollars in stamp du- housing stamp duty over the next twelve months. Now, if that money—that's a tax which is raised. That's right, a tax which is raised on housing is used for public housing. 
with that $6 billion per year, you could remove that, you could solve the homeless problem in a month. You could house the 100,000 people on the waiting list within a year. And you could house a million Victorians in public housing within a decade. And the benefits to the individual and the community would be extraordinary. Just extraordinary. Not just in terms of reducing uh, violence in the home and violence in communities, but extraordinary in terms of the buying power that goes back into the community. If people's rents you know, are pegged at 25% of their income. And you don't actually have to go on a building splurge. You can do it through spot purchasing. And people say, oh, the housing market is falling, so stamp duty revenue is falling. So what? If stamp duty revenue is falling, it means houses are cheaper to buy. Easy. And you would help many people. You'd help people who are renting because rents would decrease the lower end of the market as more and more people went into public housing. There'd be less demand for private housing. Prices would drop as investors would move out of that into some other, you know, investor-friendly, uh, corporate-friendly uh, investment uh, vehicle. And the list goes on and on. So there are many advantages to public housing. So I suggest go to the public housing website, Public Housing Everybody's Business, or Defend and Extend Public Housing. And if you're in Victoria and you've got time, if you've got time, join us on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Four to f- uh, f- 5.30 to 6.30pm on the 4th of September, 5.30 to 6.30pm on the 11th of September, 5.30 to 6.30pm on the uh, 18th of September, and come and join us on the AFL public holiday. Victoria's a, a public holiday for a horse race and a football game. That's right, the footy grand final public holiday. From 11.30pm on Thursday the 26th of September, to 11.30pm on Friday the 27th of September, we will be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House to promote the issue of public housing and put public housing back on the Victorian and the federal parliamentary agenda. So join us and make public housing a critical issue 2019 and in 2020. Once again, as I said before, it's a classic decision. You know, decisions have been made to build infrastructure who cares about the cost? But decisions have been made to ignore the housing crisis that many people face and that many people will continue to face and a growing number will face as the economic scenario which has been building since the global financial crisis in 2018 begins to have an impact on more and more Australians. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. And as I said before, public housing is everybody's business. So come and join us. Tax is everybody's business. Social security is everybody's business. Putting the interests of the many, the public interest, before the interests of the few is everybody's business. I mean, the great thing about living in a great metropolis like Melbourne of over 5 million people is you can amuse yourself in many, many ways. It doesn't matter how you amuse yourself. At the end of the day, economic reality will bite. Now, talking about economic reality, 
Now, once again, I am making an appeal for people to join the West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective. Those of you who keep your eyes and ears open will know that as far as the West Papuan crisis is concerned, it is escalating. There have been riots in West Papua and other parts of Indonesia. There have been people killed, many arrested, buildings on fire. That struggle for independence for the Morning Star continues to be an issue. The West Papuan office at Docklands in Melbourne plays an important role in that ongoing struggle. It is financed by the West Papuan Rent Collective, which consists of people like you and me. I am convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective, and it's our role to raise the rent so we pay the rent to allow West Papuan activists and refugees and asylum seekers in this country to continue to conduct that campaign for West Papuan independence. And to be a member of the Rent Collective is a a small price we pay, a dollar a day, $365 a year, $30 a month. You can just put your money in a special account at the Commonwealth Bank if you want to be part of the West Papuan Rent Collective, keep the office open at 838 in Docklands. Keep it open. Keep it functioning. Keep that struggle boiling over. Uh, see the... Uh, then give me a call. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 You can always write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville. 3052, and I'll send you out the material. We don't keep a uh, list of members. It is a voluntary thing. It's self-policed. You make you make the donation as you see fit. But again, every single cent is used to pay for the rent. Nothing else. None, no other money. No money is not used for any other activities. It's one hundred percent used to pay for rent for the office, which plays a significant role in the West Papuan independent struggle, not just in the Pacific but around the world. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can write to me at Post Office Box Twenty, Parkville Three O Five Two. You want to join the Rent Collective? You can. Ring me on 0439 395 489. Go to the Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public, or the Joseph Toscano Facebook page. Defend and extend public housing. Public housing, everybody's business. Want to join public interest before corporate interest? Download the application form from Pipsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Go to the Anarchist Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Go to our Twitter stream, Twitter, sorry, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. Go to the uh, YouTube presentation. I do one every week. Public interest before corporate interest. Public interest before corporate interest. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Thank you very much for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.